Okay, we continue this day our, our um, study of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. Last week we considered verses 1 and 2 with Acts 16 as the background reading. That was the ministry of Paul and Silas to the church in, in, um, in Acts, sorry, in Philippi, Acts 16. Welcome to 2. So, we're going to continue today with uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, and our focus is verses 5 and 6. You know, last week we looked at the rich blessing, the rich blessing, and today we're going to see uh, that rich blessing, which belongs to the saints. Who are the saints? Believers. Every believer is a saint in Jesus Christ. So we don't need to look to the, to the saints in the windows, but saints that are living, walking, ordinary people. Okay, and today we're going to see that to saints belong the fellowship. It's a rich, rich fellowship, and it's a kind of fellowship that the world should be hungry for, but a kind of a fellowship that is satisfied in Christ. And Paul thanks for the Philippians for being so great. No, he thanks God for his great work in the lives of the church in Philippi. So, verses 3 through 8, we'll continue reading verses 3 through 8, and our focus is 5 and 6. Paul says, first of all, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine making requests for you all with joy. For what? For your fellowship in the gospel. From the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. I'm just going to read 5 and 6 once more. Philippians 1, 5 and 6. That's our focus. Paul thanking God for what? For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. As I was reflecting on this passage, I realized there's so much more that can be said. But uh, let me begin by mentioning that this past week, I was talking with a nurse, a young one, young nurse, and he shared with me something that I thought was very, uh, it was very upsetting, very sad. It was his colleague, a nurse. She has three sons. And she was sharing with him that one is in prison. Another one is on drugs. And now just recently, her third son, who was supporting her, committed suicide. You think about that. This, this is the, the sad reality we see too often. Too often in our world. And then he was sharing that some older nurses who are closer to retirement, they said, we have no one to care for us when we get older. We're just going to be euthanized. That's the way to deal 
with our loneliness. When we get too old, we'll just be euthanized. You hear these stories, and it's just not so strange because it's so real. It's so real in our world, isn't it? Stories, and you see the brokenness. And that brokenness is not foreign to us. It comes from sin, sin that our first parents, Adam and Eve, brought into our world, and we ourselves in Adam, right? Sin brought all this sadness into the world. And you see really the brokenness of man's relationship with God. That's what it really comes down to, the brokenness of man's image because of his broken relationship with God. Sin brings what? Isolation, sadness, pain, loneliness, And that's why you hear all around us this human cry for fellowship. Fellowship. People, the sense of belonging. And you'll notice that it's nothing new. It's always been that way since the time our first parents sinned in the garden and we in them, we in Adam. And you know, even before they came to know Jesus Christ, you have this wealthy businesswoman, this entrepreneur, Lydia, Right? Doing her trading. We saw from Acts 16. From Thyatira, a different country. Trading in Philippi. Wealthy. She was confused. She didn't know the way to God. And then you have this young girl being exploited by her masters, turned into a slave girl. A slave girl with a demon in her, an evil spirit. And then you have the Philippian jailer ready to commit suicide, ready to end his life right then and there. And yet you see, God is so great. He's so powerful. He broke into their lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ and that sense of, my chains fell off. My heart was free. The sense of, the the, the knowledge of knowing that our sins are forgiven, totally forgiven us in Christ. The curse is reversed and He comes to bless us in Christ. And with that, not only that, there's that fruit of fellowship. We're brought into fellowship with a living God and all those who are connected with him by grace. To the saints who are in Philippi, and Paul joyfully mentions, and he says, yeah, and your fellowship in the gospel. That's really the center of the gospel, isn't it? Fellowship. Fellowship. Christ has taken us out of that isolation, out of that, uh, from from the the curse of sin, and brought us into fellowship with the living God by his finished work on the cross. That is really the heart, isn't it? Being brought back into fellowship with God again, into communion, into a right relationship, a saving relationship through Jesus Christ. And Paul remembers them. He was there from the beginning. And he remembers them in prayer. Why? Because of God's work in their lives. And so he gives continual thanks for two reasons. First of all, he says, I'm thankful for you for your persevering in the gospel. Persevering in a sense of, you're just continuing in the gospel. And I'm thankful for that. But he says, but I'm thankful for another reason, and for a bigger reason. You're doing this because it's God at work in you to continue persevering, to continue continue keeping on. 
So yeah, they're persevering because God is persevering in them. It's all his work. It's all his, it's, the, it, it's all his salvation toward us who believe. So we want to see those two points this morning. Verse 5, Paul is so thankful for their persevering in the gospel. Notice what he says, verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. And I'm always in every prayer of mine making requests for you all with joy. For what? For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. From the first day until now. That means from the first day that they came to know Christ. That Christ came to them. That God opened their hearts. Even until now. It's probably some several years later. Paul is just grateful for their fellowship in the gospel. Okay. What are they persevering in? What are they continuing in? Their fellowship in the gospel. I know persevering is a big word. If you boy, for you boys, you know what persevering is? Think of a building and you run around it once and twice. And suppose you have to run around it ten times. You're going to keep on going? Keep on going? Yes, you keep on going, you keep on going. That's persevering, right? You continue to run around run around until the tenth time. Paul saying, I am so grateful for your persevering in the, in the fellowship of the gospel. That's, their, their fellowship is really an aspect of their persevering in the gospel, isn't it? So what is that gospel in which you find your fellowship? I mean, it's a fellowship in the gospel. Centered to fellowship, central to fellowship, is the gospel, is the good news. So what is that gospel then that Paul's talking about? Well, we could go on and on, but strictly speaking... The gospel is the good news. We hear a lot of bad news today, but it's the good news. It's a public announcement. It's public. It's not private. It's a public announcement through the preaching what God has done in Christ Jesus. What he has done in Christ Jesus. What has he done in Christ Jesus? Well, that's what we proclaim. We proclaim the crucified Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and the exalted Christ. It's really the announcement of Jesus the Christ, who is the Lord and King of the universe. It's the gospel of the kingdom. And what's the gospel of the kingdom? It's an announcement of the destruction of the evil powers. It's an announcement of Christ destroying the works of the devil and raising a people to new life. It's an announcement of Reversing the curse that sin brings. The gospel declares also, it doesn't stop there what God has done, but it also declares what we must do. All people in the world, what all people must do. And what is that? Whoever simply repents and believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, crucified, shall not perish but have eternal life. See, that's the promise. Continuing fellowship, eternal life, forever and ever and ever. It doesn't even break by death. But yeah, that comes with the command to turn away from the works of darkness, from our sins, and to trust in Jesus that forgiveness and new life is found in him. It really is. But it also announces that 
that for all who do not repent or believe in Christ will perish, will die forever in their unbelief. So yeah, the gospel is freely spoken to everybody. That's an announcement. It's a public announcement to all. For everyone, regardless of background, regardless of records of sin, regardless of how uh, poor or rich we are, makes no difference. It's a call to all. And you know something about this gospel? This gospel itself creates this fellowship. This fellowship. And that raises the next question. Okay, if this is the gospel, what's the fellowship which is so central to the gospel? Paul's thanking them for, he's thanking us, or he's thanking the Lord for your fellowship in the gospel. What is that fellowship? Well, you know, like the word saints, very special word. This is a golden word. And fellowship really comes from a word, koinonia. And I say that word because that's a word that's applied to believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Koinonia. It's a very special word for fellowship. There's so many ways to to describe it. Fellowship, partnership, communion, intimacy, right? Relationship, intimate relationships. This koinonia is not anywhere in the world, nowhere, except for those who belong to the fellowship of Jesus Christ. It's a rich, it's a full, it's such a beautiful term in scripture. It signifies or it implies a sharing together, a sharing together into something. What is that? It's a sharing in the life of Jesus Christ. Um, the first epistle of John talks about this fellowship. He says, that which we have seen, heard, who do they see in here? Christ. He says, we declare to you, there's the gospel. For what purpose? That you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You know what this fellowship is? You know what this sharing of in this fellowship is? It's a sharing in the fellowship with the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That fellowship that the Son and the Spirit and the Father enjoy from all eternity. And this is what His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, comes to bring and to bring us into through faith in Jesus Christ. Nowhere else in the world. You know, that's what that's what binds a people together. The fellowship of the gospel. You know what's that? It's a fellowship in the gospel. It's the fellowship that only the gospel can create. It's a, it's a fine fellowship where we sense we belong. We belong to our faithful Savior in life and death, body and soul, forever and ever. You know, apart from Christ and His Holy Spirit, there is no koinonia. There is no this type of fellowship. Oh, certainly you can have great get-togethers, great birthday parties. You can have good public events. You can go to the Rogers Stadium and everyone's, go Blue Jays, go! But that, that's nothing like the sense of koinonia, the fellowship, the, 
this sense of restoration of that living fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Christ draws to himself those whom he has given to the, those who have been given to him by the Father. How does he draw people? How did he draw the Philippian jailer? How did he draw that slave woman who was demon-possessed to himself? How did he draw Lydia? By his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit used the words, the word of God, as Paul was proclaiming it. Right? That's the gospel. And what did the Lord do to Lydia? By his Spirit, he opened her heart. And when he opened her heart, what happened? He opened, she opened her own to the apostles. And you see that first koinonia, that first fellowship in Philippi. She opened her own home to the congregation. That was where the church gathered, in the home of Lydia. Think of the jailer, right? What did he do? The apostle Paul, after he beat them with stripes, he nursed their wounds. Really a beautiful image of Christ coming to bear our burdens and address our wounds, those scars from our sins. Fellowship. Fellowship in the gospel. Every time Paul remembers, he just, I mean, where's he remembering this? He's in prison. And he's just so, so thankful to God. He doesn't say, oh, your guys are great. No, he's saying, God, you're so great because look what you've done. Even as I'm sitting in prison here because of Jesus, look what you've done in these lives of these people who were so far away from you. You changed them. You brought them to yourself. And now there's this little fellowship. He was thanking them for their fellowship in the gospel, thanking God for their fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, from the first day from the time of their conversion to Christ until this very point where he was sitting in prison. Yeah, they were persevering. They were continuing in the life of Jesus. So how was this fellowship in the gospel manifesting itself? How did it show? Well, we saw some things already. But what a beautiful alternative to the isolation, despair that you see in the world. Christ comes and says, he's the answer. He's the answer. You notice in the church of Philippi specifically, love and generosity, that was the hallmark of fellowship in this small little church. As a matter of fact, Paul says it was so much more there than even many of the other congregations. It expressed itself in that generous gift. Remember, Philippi, they were felt so close to Paul because of the gospel he brought that they sent one of their members. His name was Epaphroditus. You see that in chapter 4. He sent Epaphroditus to, to Rome, where Paul was, in prison. And on behalf of the congregation, he brought a gift. We don't know what that gift was. But that so warmed and melted Paul's heart. Not because they were so generous, but because he was seeing God's work in them. He was seeing the fellowship in the gospel in their lives. And that's what really occasioned this letter in the first place. Because he sent Epaphroditus back with this letter in hand. He's saying, you know, and that's the first thing he breaks out. I thank God for you. For what the Lord has done. And you notice, sometimes 
We don't want to be identified with people who are in prison, especially for the sake of the gospel. Because when you take the side, in this case of Pastor Paul, who's sitting in prison, whose side are you going against? Why are you going against the authorities of the land? You're saying, I'm, we're siding with the Apostle Paul, who's in prison, but we're not siding with the authorities who put him in prison. And you see there again the fellowship. That's how fellowship expresses itself. It will stand with Christ, no matter the suffering, no matter the cost. And that's what they did. They stood with Paul. See verse 7? Paul says, I have you in my heart. I mean, they had him in his heart too. In their hearts, I should say. He says, I have you in my heart. Inasmuch as both in my chains, there he talks about his prison experience, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers. There's that same word again, koinonia. You are all in fellowship with me in the fellowship of grace. It's that, that fellowship that Christ gives is unbreakable. Death cannot break it. That fellowship is eternal. Death itself, you think of Romans 8, right? Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And that love is expressed in that kind of, of fellowship within the body of Christ. You know, I was saddened to hear that an elder in one of our churches in Canada, he was wondering if it was proper to pray for Pastor James Coates, who is from Edmonton, Alberta, and was put in prison. He was put in prison because his church was too full. He was breaking the COVID rules. In other words, in the question he was implying, it's not proper to pray for those kind of pastors. Should we not stand with our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in prison for the sake of the gospel? Think of the persecuted church in all the different lands and pastors in prison. We stand with them, do we not? Do we not? And we're willing to die with them, are we not? Because this is the, the unbreakable fellowship. This is the kind of fellowship that was being manifested in the church of Philippi. Just uh, powerful. Fellowship in the gospel means persevering. That's koinonia. Persevering in the gospel in spite of obstacles. It's a willingness to suffer. Paul says from the first day until now, he just sees the work of God. Their partnership, their participation in the gospel. What does that show? It shows that their faith was really real. That it was not fake. Right? Sometimes Paul knows that there were also fake believers. But he saw by their action, they saw by the work of God in their life, it was the work of God that really confirmed to him that, yeah, their faith is really real. It's not just a matter of a, a fleeting impulse, a sudden emotion, but this was something that was lasting from one year to the next year to the next year to the next year. They weren't spectators watching on from the bleachers making comments. No, they were sharing in. They were participating in the fellowship. One with Christ. 
willing to endure all things, praying and sharing and caring. And I don't know how to bring out the, the richness of this word, koinonia. Words fail me to know exactly how to say it. But Paul says, I just see a confirmation of God's work in your lives. And this is how you're expressing itself. It expresses itself in different ways in different congregations. But the signs are there, aren't there? He's thankful for their persevering. They're just continuing on. But why are they continuing on? Well, because God is at work in them to continue on. It's, it, again, salvation is from the Lord. It's not that God says, I'm going to save you, now we're on your own, and it's up to you. No. They continue on because God is at work in them, preserving them. And you see that in verse 6, our second and last point. Why are they persevering from the first day till now? Because God is working in them. He will complete his work in them. Do you have that confidence? We may, right? We may. God will complete his work of salvation in us too. Look at verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Notice when he began. He began that good work in them, really from eternity. But it came in time when he, for example, broke in the lives of the slave girl, the Philippian jailer, Lydia. And he not only began that good work in them, he continues that good work in them from that day until now. And now Paul says, you know, we don't know everything that lies in the future, but one thing I know one thing I'm confident, one thing I'm really persuaded about is that God is going to keep you in it. That's the kind of God we have. He's going to keep you in it through thick or thin, in spite of all the obstacles, in spite of all of that. These words of verse 6 are some of the most comforting in Scripture. Think about it. How, is, how might this, these words be a comfort to us as God's people? How? You know, you look at your life, I look at my life, what do you struggle with? Sin. Saints, yeah, but daily, right? There's that struggle against sin in our lives, isn't it? And that sin sometimes seems so powerful. And sometimes we fall for it. And sometimes we fall for it for a long time. We struggle with remaining sin in our lives. Sometimes we fall hard and long and then we still face, you know, on top of that, all the real temptations, strong and powerful temptations, right, from Satan, from the world. Think of envy, terrible sin, and jealousy, and anger, and lust of all kinds. These things were, and you begin to think, how can God love me? How, how can, wouldn't God just give up on me? <laughs> the Philippians face those same things. They're sinners like we are. How could God persevere with me? Always remember, salvation is not of ourselves. Salvation is of the Lord. It's His grace. We're saved by what? His grace. We're not saved by our works. We're not saved because we don't fall into sins all the time. We're saved by grace, by the God who 
enables us to walk by faith and to run away from sin. You know, if it was left up to us totally, if God said, okay, I saved you, now you're totally on your own. Okay, it's up to you. It's up to you to stay faithful. It's up to you to, uh, to obey me according to your own strength and your own power. Not one of us would be here. Not one of us would be in part of this fellowship. None of us would remain standing in the grace of God. Not, not one. And you think about that, then you begin to realize how weak we really are. Maybe you've heard the illustration of the daisy. You know what a daisy is? Daisy, I think it's got a yellow center, right? It's got a yellow center, and it's got, let's say, ten petals. Okay, there's a story about a daisy. Okay, and that's illustrated by Christians who say they never know if Jesus or God really loves them or not. They're always trying to figure out, does God really love me? They're looking at their own lives and they think, how can he love me? How can he persevere in me? And so what he does then, he takes his daisy and he takes off the first petal. He loves me. He takes off the next petal. He does not love me. Third one, he loves me. Fourth one, he does not love me. And he goes all the way around. And hopefully the last petal says he loves me, then he'll be happy. But if the last petal that he takes off says he doesn't love me, then he's very sad. You know, many Christians go through life like that, as if their salvation is based on themselves. And they live with doubts and more doubts, and it cripples their service. It cripples their fellowship in the gospel because always they're wondering, always they're wondering, always uncertain, always doubting, never confident. But let me say, that's not the gospel. That's what other religions are. All the other religions are like this. And I know that's a real temptation for us to think that way too, that it's up to us to get to heaven. Our salvation is not dependent upon us. It's not dependent on our promises. It's not dependent on our works. Not by our own strength, not by our own works. But what, where does it come from? From God's undeserved love, his undeserved mercy. And he's the kind of God that when he brings someone to salvation, that person will never lose his salvation. He will never totally lose his faith. Sometimes a person may walk away from the fellowship for a time, maybe for three years or five years, but if God has truly begun a good work in that person, that person will come back to the fellowship. What he's begun in us, he will continue to do, and he will complete. You know, we have the confession called the Canons of Dort, number five. It's not canons like you shoot with, but... It's a summary statement of what we believe. And it reminds us that with respect to ourselves, this could easily happen that we would fall away, and no doubt we would fall away. But with respect to God, it cannot possibly happen. However, it says, the promise cannot fail. His promise cannot fail. The calling according to his purpose cannot be revoked. 
The merit of Christ as well as the interceding and persevering cannot be nullified. The sealing of the Holy Spirit can neither be invalidated or wiped out. <laughs> that's, that's the confidence we can have as we go forward. Of course, we need to persevere. But part of persevering is believing. Continue not to doubt. And when we believe, we say, thank you, Lord, for persevering in me to continue to believe, to continue to trust, to continue to live in the fellowship that you have called me to. Yes. <clears throat> you know that song that we're going to sing in a few moments? That children so love to sing, which is so true? Jesus loves me. This I know. How do I know? For the Bible tells me so. It's not dependent on your feelings, on your experiences. It's dependent on Christ. And what he says in the Bible, rest in that. Really, rest in the finished work of Christ. Salvation is of the Lord, not of ourselves. And we continue to trust him, do we not? Trust him to the very end. That's part of the persevering, believing this. And when we believe this, thank God that he enables us to persevere in believing that. To trust him, to live out of that fellowship. God wants to see joy. God wants us to see living confidently out of his grace for the salvation he has won for us. It's pleased God to begin this work of grace in us as well through the gospel. All of us have come from nowhere to somewhere <laughs> by the grace of God. And how is he going to keep us? How is God going to keep us? Well, he keeps us how in this way? By the hearing and the reading of the gospel. That's what he uses. Yeah, so important, hey, to be part of that fellowship. By the hearing and the reading of the gospel, by meditating on it, by paying attention to his exhortations, to his warnings, to his promises. That's what the Holy Spirit uses. And he uses the sacraments, the Lord's Supper, baptism. God's work of grace includes God's gift both the willing and the ability to do good works. If you look at Philippians chapter 2.13, you know it's the one who begins a good work in you. It's the same God who works in you both to will and to do. There's the, there's the God persevering in us. He's the one that gives us the will, the desire, to be part of the fellowship and to continue to be part of that fellowship. It's his will at work in us to do. Praise God for sovereign grace. Praise God for your fellowship in the gospel. You know, this is what this community in Brampton needs. The gods of the temples cannot provide that. They're dead. What can they do? They can't even drink. They can't even eat. They can't care for you. This is the satisfying fellowship that people need. Until the day when Jesus returns, as the Apostle Paul says, on that day, then our fellowship will be complete. But in the meantime, may many thank God for your fellowship here and for our fellowship together. May many thank God for you, for the fellowship that we have in the gospel and for the spread of this gospel to others who do not know. Thank God, not for how great we are and how nice we are, 
but thank God for how great he is. He is good. And you know, all the talk about privilege today, economic privileges and racial privileges, you know, the greatest privilege is to belong from whatever background we are to the fellowship in the gospel. You are privileged. Give thanks. Sing. Sing it out because of God's great, great work of grace in your lives. Amen.